Welcome to the second season of The Bulb. If you've joined us on The Bulb before, welcome back. If you're a new listener, we're pleased to have you. Season 1 listeners will remember the diversity of our first audio outings. We journeyed back in time to learn more about the history of Queensland's service landscape and explored the personal history of one of our state's notable figures in responding to gendered violence. We were inspired by contemporary leadership in the sector and heard the warm conversation of our First Nations colleagues who shared their practice wisdom. 2020 will be remembered by our world as the year of COVID and how we communicate with men who use violence when face-to-face engagement is not possible was a topic we could not ignore. If you missed season one, don't worry, you can still access these fascinating podcasts. For those who have yet to subscribe, we suggest you do so by tapping that subscribe button. Then you'll get notified of each new release of the Bulb podcast as season two and beyond unfold. In this second season, you can expect more variety. And don't be surprised if you hear new accents as an international research colleague or two join us. Oh, and be prepared for some familiar voices too, as we hear from our friends in practice and academia. Hello, Season 2. Hello, Dave. Thank you for joining us on The Bulb today. Great to have you with us. And looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. I'm excited about it. All righty. So, Dave, let's start by finding out a little bit about you and in particular how you came to be working in the field of responding to family violence. So um, I came over to Australia from America and started in counselling with young people. And I guess my student placement was at um, a service that worked with young people who witnessed domestic violence. And so I worked with a lot of young people and women there. And then I guess over time, um, found a lot of young people that witnessed domestic violence also using violence um, at home. And so I guess just over time led to working more in that area. And uh, and yeah, and I guess just, just over time, finding more interest in that area, interest in trauma. And, uh, and here I am. So yeah, it all started with my student placement about oh, 12 years ago or so. So that's quite a journey. And in fact, uh, speaking of student placements, you're now a researcher in this area. So I'd be curious to find out what you've discovered so far in your research. Yeah, well, I'm about halfway through uh, a PhD looking specifically at adolescent violence in the home where there's a history of domestic violence from mom's intimate partner. So uh, I interviewed 15 mothers and 10 young people ages 12 to 17, both girls and boys. And everyone in that I interviewed had experienced or witnessed domestic violence from an ex-partner who was no longer in the home. And either the moms were recently experiencing it, recently experienced adolescent violence or were currently experiencing it. And all the kids were um, using violence in the home at the time of the interview. So they were using it. Um, and so, yeah, and so we did uh, a PhD. I'm in the sort of analysis phase. So these are all pr- 
preliminary findings. Um, but I guess what, what sort of some things that are coming through are that for the mothers, they're an extremely isolated group. So a lot of the mothers are afraid to leave home because they're afraid of how the young people will act when they're out in public, but they're afraid to leave them a home alone because they're afraid of what they're going to do at home. And so uh, they're extremely isolated, very low help seeking. A lot of them, um, a lot of the mothers that I spoke to also, when they do go out to services, some of them feel blamed by the service for what's happening, and so they disengage. Um, so on the mother's side and on the young person's side, what I'm sort of finding is a mix between, uh, there's like this mix between trauma, uh, violence, so acting out because of poor emotional regulation, as well as sort of more instrumentally, so using violence at home to sort of get a desired outcome. And some of the young people talk about using violence so they can go out with their friends or their mom will ask them to do something and they don't want to do it. And so they'll um, use violence to get out doing things. So it's it's sort of this mix between the trauma and this more instrumental use that for moms makes it very difficult to respond. They don't know how to respond. And so it's a very sort of complex uh, the more I look into it, I guess, the more complex the phenomenon is. Thanks, Dave. And it does indeed sound very complex. And given your immersion in this topic, what has actually surprised you on this research, either in your research journey or your work journey in responding to this type of violence? There's a, I guess a, I guess a couple of things surprised me. Um, one of the things that surprised me was, uh, especially, I guess, with talking with um, the moms, one of the surprising things, I guess, is the high level of isolation. And it's very high. Um, and I guess the other surprising thing is is that a lot of research points to the first, um, the first intervention being the police. But a lot of the moms I talked to went to a service before going to the police, but either felt blamed or felt that they weren't believed and so disengaged. So there's there's a small window of opportunity. Um, and, and the other thing, I guess, with that too, is that I found with the moms that all the moms that had police involvement, so called the police out because of violence, the young people were either not in the home anymore due to being put in voluntary care or sent to live with dad, or we're in the process of being removed from the home. So I guess that was another surprising thing is that if there is police involvement, what I've sort of, I guess one of the things that's coming through is that there's a very high level of family breakdown by that point. And if you think of interventions, a lot of interventions don't start until police referral so if, if, if they're already in the process of being removed and things like that, um, it, it, you're, you're sort of, your intervention is coming at a time where the family itself has a lot of other issues going on and it's very broken down. Um, I guess the other thing is too, <clears throat> through my work with young people, just at my job, young people using violence as well as, is that... Um, there's a very, they have, they do want the relationship to be better. 
all the young people, I asked them if they had a magic wand and they could do whatever they wanted with it, like, wh- you know, what would they change? And these are young people that weren't living at home anymore due to the violence. These were young people that were, you know, 15-year-olds. And on the face of it, you'd think, like, they'd wish for everything they wanted, to get mom off my back, like, whatever. But all of them wished for a better relationship. They all said they wanted it to be safer. Um, A couple young people that weren't living at home due to the violence said that they wished that everybody was living at home together again. Um, We find that young people in the program. So I I also run a program called Side by Side and I co-facilitate it um, with uh, Leah Mackey, who is the, my uh, co-facilitator. We run it together. We've done it for a number of years. And um, we've we've run 20 week programs and the, and we've only had three boys drop out out of like running that program for multiple years. And we always talk to the boys, like, why do you, like, why do you come? It's a two-hour group where we talk about DV and, and you using violence. Like, why are you here? And I guess the surprising thing is they do really want the relationship to be better. And they want a safe relationship with mom. But the issue is that they don't know how to reconcile that with trying to use violence to get what they want. Like, they can't reconcile those two things. And I guess the other thing is, too, is we, we talk about how isolated the moms are. The young people are very isolated as well. So a lot of them lie to their friends about stuff that happens at home because they don't want their friends to know that they're using violence. A lot of them during the DV didn't have friends coming over because dad didn't want that. And so what we find in these groups and working with these young people in group work, a lot of them keep coming because it's the only group where they feel connected to the other people in the group because they've all gone through the same thing. Um, so I think we, we it's sometimes we underestimate the level of isolation that the young people have experienced um, as well. So I think, I guess those things, the, the attachment things, um, the longing for attachment and these, these high levels of isolation I found um, surprising. And uh, there's so much mm. secrecy on, on, on all parts, isn't there? So what top tips, and I think you've started moving towards some of these, you're hinting at some of these in your previous um, response, but any top tips, maybe three top tips when you're working, when someone listening to this might be working with a family where this, this behaviour is playing out? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, I think the top ones, and this is both from my experience in the work I'm doing as well as the PhD, Uh, One of the things moms say, both in the work and in the PhD, is that if they disengage with the service, it's because they feel blamed or they don't feel believed. Like the people don't believe that their son could be doing this or daughter could be doing this. Or they say, well, the reason they're doing it is because you're not hard enough and you'd be more responsible as a parent, whatever. So I think the initial thing that can have the most impact with sort of the least amount of intervention is just listening to the story, like listening to the story, validating mom's concerns, uh, validating how difficult this must be for her. That sense of believability is, will go a really long way to keeping her engaged. Cause it's one of the main things moms bring up around disengaging with a service. Um, And that might take a couple of sessions because there might be a lot of story there that she hasn't told anybody. 
But I think that's the initial one is just like, you know, giving her a feeling that she's supported, she's believed um, and that sort of thing. Um, I guess the other one is what we have found is that a lot of what's driving the young people's behavior is how they view relationships working. So they see relationships as if all else fails, I can always use violence to get what I want in a relationship. Like it's a problem solving tool. And one of the things, and with the trauma too, it's like they have very, very poor emotional regulation. So they have these two things going on in a relationship, um, which creates the violence. So I guess the other tip is one of the things that we try and do is work with young people and moms together as much as safely possible. So we, we might bring them in to do joint sessions. We do group works with moms and young people together. And I guess the reason for that is that we're trying to change how they view the relationship uh, and how relationships work. And it's very difficult to do that when you're working with them individually. Um, and so doing that in a safe way and working on that attachment is really gonna help shift how they view relationships and also shift how mom views the young person. Because a lot of moms see the young person as a DV perpetrator in waiting. It makes it very difficult for them to do caregiving and support them and do emotional regulation. So this helps break down those things. I mean, like I said, it has to be safe because you are having them both in the room at the same time. But um, if you can manage that, I mean, that would be um, useful. And that might take a couple individual sessions to try and do that. Uh, and I guess the last one um, is... To, even if you can't do that, because you say, well, I don't think it's safe, the young person's using a lot of violence, is to have a mom's group. Because the level of isolation is so high, and there's all this secrecy around what's happening, getting a group of like five to ten moms where this is all happening together, co-facilitating that and doing some work on how DV impacts parenting, you know, what talking about trauma, like just getting them together and working on this thing helps break down that isolation um, and helps moms connect. So even if you think, well, the young person and mom together wouldn't go that well, just having some groups with all the moms together to talk about, hey, we're all experienced DV, we're experiencing this from our kids, that's rough, we're all going through the same thing, um, I think can really go a long way to breaking down some of that isolation and a lot of mothers thinking that that shame around, well, this doesn't happen to other people and you can help sort of break that down. Um, yeah. So I guess those are sort of the, 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 the three, the, the top three things, I think. And that last point is an interesting one because I'm thinking about listeners who may not feel particularly skilled mm. in this area, but might feel confident, for example, and actually, starting with mm. the group approach, you know, putting some some advertising out or something or through their kind of service, just starting with that peer support kind of approach. Would that be something that, that could work in certain situations where you start? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the, what we sort of look at is ideally to work with the young person and mom together. If you're like, well, I don't really mm. feel confident in that or we don't have the scope for that or I don't work with young people, then the next best thing is working with the moms and supporting them um, and helping them um, connect with each other 
And I guess like we've talked about the peer support, the, the, the good thing is that if you have a group with moms, generally speaking, more than one mom will be going through the same thing at the same time. So you could have a mom that's like, oh, he has been really good, but all of a sudden his behavior spiked up. And, you know, I was just thinking, oh, this is never going to get better. And they might feel a bit hopeless. And generally you'll have another mom in the same group that's going through the same thing. And so it helps sort of um, normalize that and, and, um, and go, oh, I'm not the only one or I'm not failing or so. Um, so, yeah, so I think uh, doing that group approach is great, whether it's with mom, whether it's with young people breaking down the isolation. And so, it, I mean, if it's easier to do it with moms, because a lot of people listening to this might only work with adults and not with kids. Um, I still think that that's very valuable and to try and get those groups together to help break that isolation down. Thanks, Dave. Um, and so you've obviously had some success stories along the way and, you know, you must keep doing this work because you remain <laughs> hopeful. So what is it that gives you, what is it that gives you hope in, when you're doing this work? I guess it's that, I guess a couple, I guess it's the, one of the things is that, that they both want the same thing. And we tell that to the kids. So all the kids that are in group, we meet them ahead of time in an intake session with mom. So we talk to mom ahead of time and go through, you know, history. She could tell us how bad Billy is and all that stuff. And that's fine. And then we say, okay, next week we're going to bring in Billy and we're all going to sit together and talk about the program. And we tell them all that, you know, the program is everybody's witnessed domestic violence and things are going on at home and they wish they were better. Do you want to do the program? And they agree, much to our surprise. Um, and they stick it out. Like, they come for two hours. And so what we, what we reflect to the moms is, like, none of you would be doing this if you didn't, like, think it was going to help. Like, if you didn't value the relationship, you wouldn't come. And we say that about the kids. Like, look how much he wants the relationship to be better because he's coming. Um, and one of the kids once said, oh, I only come for the pizza. And, and I told him he was lying. I said, you're lying because we give you the pizza right away and you stay for the two hours. And I'm like, and A, the pizza's not that good that you'll stay two hours. And B, we're not that funny. So you must be getting something out of it. Um, and we have a very low dropout rate. Uh, most of our dropouts are because moms need to move for safety. Uh, dads may hold the young person from contact and not allow them to go to group, like those types of things. Very rarely is it that like group stinks, I don't want to go again. Um, so to have that amount of investment from young people that you know are using violence, are traumatized, that they still want it to be better. I guess that is one of the things that's hopeful. And we, and you just see the changes in the, in the families, like you, and it's a mindset thing. It's like behaviors that happened before that would just totally break the family down and would trigger mom, trigger the young person. Now mom will take it in stride, laugh a little bit. They'll have a hug. Hugging is very hopeful when you see families hug and it's very surprising. Um, yeah, but I, I guess it's that, like, 
attachment stuff and that longing for the attachment that that keeps us hopeful. Um, my other take-home message from this conversation is never underestimate the power of a sense oh, yeah. of humor. Oh yeah, we do it. Uh, we do it all the time. Um, and I guess thing, I guess too, with the kids is when you do that, it helps build rapport and it humanizes them a bit because they're so used to be seeing as the perpetrator that it almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, and to break that down and and work on the on the attachment and on the relationship before really going after the behavior, they start to go like, oh, you know, this isn't, I can do this. I mean, we still have kids, every group that have come to group for 10 weeks and after every group say, oh, I'm not coming back to the next one. And I said, yeah, you're coming back to the next, you've come to 10, you're coming back to the next one. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. And we've established it's actually no pizza. No, they'll say that. <laughs> and I'll go, Oh, you're lying. I know you are. But it's uh <laughs> but it's 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 good though, and I think too with the moms is a lot of the moms so one story that I like to tell really quick is that one of the groups we have mothers only groups where just the moms come. Um and, and some of this is, is because of what's found that what I'm finding in the PhD is that level of isolation. And wanting to talk about triggers in DV, which isn't, which just isn't appropriate with the young people around. Um, and so we bring them in. And one of the, our first one, just by happenstance, was the Thursday before Mother's Day. And I looked at Leah and I said, we need to do a Mother's Day session. We can't be a DV mother's program and not do a Mother's Day session. We have to do it. And they go, oh, she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we planned it around Mother's Day. We got them like, I think we got them like plants to take home, got them like fancy cake and stuff. And they came in and these are mothers that have like 15 year old kids. So not like, you know, not new mothers. I mean, they've had, you know, 15, 16 year old kids. And we had seven moms and they all came in and we talked about Mother's Day and Happy Mother's Day and celebrating being a mother and how it's tough with TV and, and that sort of thing. And we had, I think out of the seven, at least four or five said that the first Mother's Day they ever had was that day at the group, was the first one. And so we talked about that. I mean, and these are young people, these are moms of 15-year-old kids that never had a Mother's Day until that day at group. And they said, well, when there was domestic violence, dad didn't let them celebrate it. And then it just became the norm. Um, So after hearing that, Every every session after that, we did a Mother's Day. So even in groups where it didn't have Mother's Day, like in November, we would call it fake Mother's Day and we would do it anyway. And then the kids would write cards the week before for the moms saying what they appreciated about them. Um, and I guess for us, that really drove home like how low these attachments are by the time they get to you. Um, and in doing that activity and having it having it um, come together and the kids make the cards is that I think is like sometimes in measuring su- success, we want to be like, okay, everybody's, you know, a perfect family and, you know, they do all this stuff together. But for a lot of families, the most positive experience they might've had in the last five years is the get to know you game you play for 10 minutes on the first session. 
it's like you're that group is providing probably some of the most positive and safest experience they've had for years. Um, and just that in and of itself is starting to challenge how each of them view relationships working because they because they can do it now. It's like, well, you can do it like you've had this 10 minute game and you guys did great. And it's something to build on. So I think I think that's that's one of the things that the that group work provides, too, is like um, even if it's two minutes long, that might be the safest two minutes they've had in the last like two years. Um, and yeah, and so you, and so the work kind of provides that, which gives a bit of hope to the families as well. Dave, that's a great point, I think, at which to wrap up this conversation. And not only am I uh, inspired by your creativity with your broken calendars and your fake <laughs> Mother's Days and your, <laughs> your not-so-good pizzas, but um, I, we do appreciate your time and we do appreciate, too, the um, the course that you have developed in responding to uh, adolescent parent violence. So thank you very much, Dave, for your time today. and. We look forward to catching up with you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on. We hope you found this edition of The Bulb Enlightening. If you'd like to know more about our work, please visit noviolence.org.au. For victims and survivors of gendered violence who may have found the content of this podcast disturbing, free, confidential 24-hour counselling is available nationally on 1-800-737-732 through 1-800-RESPECT. If you would like to know more about responding to domestic and family violence, CQ University offers a range of postgraduate and other study options. Visit cqu.edu.au and search courses for domestic violence to learn more.